Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today I'm going to be doing a Friday Barnes short story that I've written especially just for this podcast. Now, just so you understand, like if you're a Friday Barnes fan, you'll know that I wrote eight books about Friday Barnes at high school at Highcrest Academy, and then I ended the series, and then everyone complained about me ending the series, and so after a couple of years of me not writing Friday Barnes books, everyone badgered me and my partner publishers started badgering me, and I started writing more Friday Barnes books again. So books nine and ten, I pick, when I picked up again, I, I jumped in time two years um, so that Friday Barnes was two years older. Uh, so she went from being 13 to 15. And at the start of book nine, she's two years older, and she's just coming out of juvenile detention, which is all very mysterious, because what did she go in for? And did she really do it? All that sort of stuff. You've got to read book nine to appreciate it. But anyway, the reason I explain all this is because today's short story is going to take place in that gap in time, in that two years, while she's in juvenile detention. Um, and I've never written about this time before. So uh, it's all new and fresh for you here today. So uh, let's get into it. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. If you don't know Friday Barnes and you're not a Friday Barnes fan, you'll pick it up. She's a girl detective and she solves problems for people. And she's in juvenile detention in this story. Okay, here we go. Friday Barnes and the case of the purloined pudding. Friday had been incarcerated in the juvenile detention centre for four weeks. It was still horrible, but she was used to the horrible now. Because of the seriousness of the allegations against her, Friday was not allowed out on bail while she waited for her trial. And because of the seriousness of the allegations, the trial was going to be complex, which meant it was going to be a long wait. This is what happens when you hand in an assignment for your criminology class that is so good that your tutor, who is secretly a sleeper agent for a terrorist cell, takes your idea and uses it to plan a major attack on several government facilities. Law enforcement agencies take it very seriously when they find out someone is planning to attack their office building. And unfortunately for Friday, despite being a brilliant detective, she was the one client whose innocence she had not been able to prove. Which is how Friday came to be in the exercise yard walking up and down. She didn't want to exercise, she just wanted to curl up in a ball on her bunk and wait for time to pass. But she knew, intellectually, that exercise was an important part of good health. So even though she hated every moment of it, she spent the whole of her allocated hour in the yard trudging back and forth. She knew they would let her out eventually. She was innocent. They would figure that out. So she had to keep it together in the meantime. The other girls left her alone. They weren't as intimidating as Friday had imagined they would be. They were probably deeply unhappy too. One girl had screamed at Friday for looking at her, which was alarming, until Friday realised that this girl screamed the same thing at everybody. Still, Friday went out of her way to avoid eye contact. 
She didn't just avoid looking at eyes, she avoided looking at faces. She tried to keep her eyeline below the shoulder, but then she realised she was staring at people's groins, so she dropped her eyeline further and stuck to staring at feet as much as possible. So she didn't notice at first when a girl rushed up behind her. Hey, said the girl. Ah, said Friday. She'd been totally startled and her pulse rate went through the roof. The girl fell into step alongside her. Friday didn't know what to do. She recognised it was Brianna from C Block. Was she being attacked? She wished she'd read more books on how to survive prison before she'd been incarcerated. The other girl glanced back over her shoulder to make sure no one was watching them. I hear you solve problems, said Brianna, in a lowered voice so no one could overhear. Not anymore, said Friday. I've given that up. I'll pay, said Brianna. We don't have money in here, said Friday. My uncle is a bikey, said Brianna. If you fix this for me, he'll fix you up. With what, asked Friday. A motorcycle? Sure, if that's what you want, said Brianna. Anything you need when you get out. I'm good, said Friday. I don't want to get into any trouble. I've got a trial coming up. I can't put a foot out of line. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, said Brianna. No one would ever know. It'd just be between you and me. And your uncle, said Friday. Yeah, but he's a bikey, so he'd never snitch, said Brianna. Well, what's your problem, asked Friday. I need you to disappear, Kylie, said Brianna. Disappear, said Friday. I can't do that. You don't need to kill her if you're squeamish, said Brianna. Just disappear her. She could be kidnapped, or you could help her escape. Once she's on the other side of the wire, my uncle can take care of the rest. I don't do that sort of thing, said Friday. Yeah, but you know people, said Brianna. Bad people. Terrorists. This would be a walk in the park for them. I am not a terrorist, said Friday. I'm innocent. I didn't do it. Oh, sure, said Brianna. Of course. She looked around and said in an overly loud voice, We all know you're innocent, that all the charges against you were false accusations, and that you are the victim of an unfair system. I am, said Friday. Yeah, yeah. So will you do it, asked Brianna. Look, I want to be super clear here. I am not disappearing anybody, whatever you take the word disappear to mean, said Friday. Yeah, I don't really understand when you talk posh, said Brianna. Okay, said Friday. Why don't you tell me what happened from the beginning? Why are you trying to get rid of Kylie? Oh, that's easy, said Brianna, because she's going to kill me. Did she say that, asked Friday. Ah, not with words, said Brianna, but she made some very nasty hand gestures and she flushed my toothbrush down the toilet. Well, maybe she's got her anger out of her system and it's all over now, said Friday. After she flushed my toothbrush, she told me I was next, said Brianna. You could never fit a human down a toilet, said Friday. Not in one piece, said Brianna. Ah, said Friday. Friday had never spoken to Kylie, but she knew, just from the body language of the inmates alone, that Kylie was top dog. She had the best job. She worked in the kitchen, which meant unlimited iced tea. She had the best cell furthest away from the toilet block and the smell of the toilet block, and other inmates scurried about doing things for her, like fetching snacks and cleaning up her cell. So why does Kylie want to kill you? asked Friday. Because her pudding was stolen, said Brianna. Pudding was a highly prized commodity in the detention centre. Inmates traded pudding like a form of currency. One pudding could get you a phone card, or two hours of TV privileges, or a toothbrush that hadn't been flushed down the toilet. If nothing else, a pudding could be eaten. It was one of the best things they served in the canteen. When there wasn't much to look forward to in your day, that little plastic tub of pudding came to mean a lot. Did you steal it? asked Friday. Are you kidding me? said Brianna. I'd have to be insane to steal a pudding from Kylie. 
A lot of people in here are insane. They also have poor impulse control and bad decision-making skills. That's why they're here, said Friday. Well, I didn't take it, said Brianna. Okay, so who are the other suspects, asked Friday. Brianna sighed. Well, there are none. I'm Kylie's cellmate. It was just the two of us locked in a cell when it went missing. Wow, that is a really short list of suspects, said Friday. Brianna nodded. Maybe I should just try and escape. But I'd rather not. Escaping always involves running. I'm not very good at running. Friday could sympathise with that. You better show me the scene of the crime. Maybe I'll be able to solve this mystery. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. C Block was a two-storey building. It had a large common room in the middle and two storeys of cells down either side of this room. A landing ran along in front of the second-storey cells to staircases at either end. In the centre of the common room was a long table with chairs and also a ping-pong table. The building had been designed so that a guard standing in the common room could see into every cell on either side on both floors. Friday followed Brianna up a staircase to the upper floor. She looked over the railing. She didn't care for heights. There were four inmates playing cards at the table below. She could see what they were each holding in their hands. One player had a full house. Friday's brain told her that this was a 1 in 3,744 possibility. She resisted the urge to share this statistical information. Brianna's cell was at the end of the landing. It was not like Friday's. This was a two-person cell, so it was larger and it was cluttered with more stuff. Brianna was in the low-security wing, so she was allowed to have stuff, whereas Friday was in the high-security wing, which meant she had no roommate, and the only stuff she could keep was books, which actually suited her because that was the only stuff she wanted. In Brianna's room, there were bunk beds up against one wall and a small ensuite bathroom on the far side. There were also two desks. All inmates were expected to study while they did their time, but not many were diligent in their academic pursuits. So where was the pudding, asked Friday. Oh, on Kylie's desk, said Brianna, pointing to the desk closest to the bed. And where were you, asked Friday. I was lying on my bed, on the lower bunk, said Brianna. I'm in the cleaning crew, so it's my job to get up early and hose the common room before everyone else gets up. By dinner time, I'm always knackered. Kylie came in just before lights out. She'd been cleaning up in the kitchen. She had a pudding in her hand, and she put it on her desk and got into bed. Did you say anything to her, asked Friday. Yeah, I actually said, thanks for bringing me a pudding, said Brianna. You did, said Friday. Well, I was joking, said Brianna. She knew that. What did she say, asked Friday. Oh, well, she said, shut it, said Brianna, and that if I touched her pudding, my life wouldn't be worth living. I just laughed and said goodnight. I thought it was just a bit of cellmate banter. Well, did anyone come into your cell during the night, asked Friday. No, I asked Barb, you know, one of the guards, said Brianna. I wouldn't have noticed. I sleep like a log. But if a guard goes into an inmate's room, they have to log the reason. Well, could the guards have failed to log it, asked Friday. No, because whenever the doors open and shut, that's automatically logged by the computer. Then the guards have to fill in a reason, said Brianna, and there was nothing on the log. Friday nodded. She started her inspection of the room. 
She stood in one spot and slowly pivoted 360 degrees, taking in every detail. Then she crouched down and inspected the legs of the table. Hmm, said Friday. Friday then got down on her hands and knees and lowered her face right down to the floor so she could look under the bed. Can you see anything? asked Brianna. Nothing, said Friday. Have you searched the room? Oh, the guards did that, said Brianna. Kylie put me in a headlock and was screaming at me, so they came in and broke it up and did a thorough search, pulled apart the bed and everything. So it's definitely not in here. What could she have eaten it, said Friday. Some people sleep eat. They don't realise they're doing it. I suppose, said Brianna. I can see her sleep eating a pudding, but even asleep, I don't think Kylie would eat a plastic pot. The prison served all its desserts in round plastic. They didn't use glass or metal because inmates could fashion that into a weapon, and the pots were cylindrical so you could fit the maximum amount into a tray in the fridge. What are you doing in here? An angry voice demanded from behind Friday. Are you two going to steal more of my stuff? Friday turned round to face Kylie. She was large and intimidating. No, said Friday. I'm not a thief, and even if I were, I wouldn't want to steal any of your stuff. What? Right, well, that's it, said Kylie. You're both going down. She reached out and grabbed Brianna by the collar. Wait, said Friday, grabbing Kylie's hand before she could throttle her roommate. I know where your pudding is. So do I, said Kylie. This one ate it. No, said Friday. I have every reason to believe that your pudding is still intact. What, said Kylie. It hasn't been eaten yet, said Friday. Then where is it, demanded Kylie. Just bear with me for a moment, said Friday. It's going to take me a moment to figure that out. Friday disappeared into the tiny bathroom and came out with a plastic jug full of water. That's not a pudding, said Kylie. I know, said Friday. Now just watch. Friday then proceeded to pour the entire contents of the jug, which was about two litres of water, onto the floor. What are you doing, demanded Kylie. You're making a mess. I am solving a mystery, said Friday. Just watch the water. It's only water, said Kylie. Yes, now watch where it goes, said Friday. The three girls looked at the water at their feet and it was moving ever so slowly towards the cell door. There was obviously a slight slant in the floor and the water was travelling with gravity down the gradual slope. All the floors in here are sloped to make them easier to clean, said Friday. If someone makes a mess, the guards can come in and blast a cell with a high-pressure hose. Then all the water will drain away. The water Friday had spilled passed out through the cell door now and was edging across the landing. When it got to the edge, it tipped over and dropped. Hey! cried someone from below. Who just dropped water on my head? Sorry, said Friday, but could you please move? We need to see where the water goes. The girl from below had already stepped aside and the water was dribbling onto the floor of the common room. It oozed into the middle of the room, which was apparently the lowest point, because after briefly puddling there, the water started moving again towards the guard station at the end of the common room. Come on, said Friday, we've got to follow it. The three of them jogged along the landing, down the staircase, and met up with the water as it passed out of the common room to the floor just in front of the guard's office, where it drained into a grate on the floor. There you go, said Friday. What? said Kylie. Friday reached down, laced her fingers through the grate, and lifted it up. There, floating on the top of the very disgusting brackish water, were three ping-pong balls and one cup of pudding. "'My pudding!' exclaimed Kylie. "'No one stole it,' said Friday. "'It's round. It rolled its way here, following the exact same path as the water.' "'But it was sitting on my desk,' said Kylie. "'Do you have any mysterious bruises on your hips that you can't remember getting?' asked Friday. Kylie's eyes gaped. "'How did you know about that?' 
because you have unlimited access to iced tea, said Friday. Huh? said Kylie. Iced tea is one of the few things made in the kitchen that tastes good, said Friday. Hey, I make the food in the kitchen, said Kylie. Then you know I'm right, said Friday. If you drank a lot of iced tea, then you would naturally need to get up in the night to go to the toilet. The cells are dark, your desk is right by the bed, and I know your desk has recently been bumped across the floor two centimetres because there are scuff marks on the concrete. So I deduce that you bumped it with your hip. Kylie rubbed her hip as she thought about it. I guess so, she said. And when you bumped the desk, the force propelled the pudding off the side, continued Friday. This initial force created momentum. Gravitational force pulled the pudding down the slope. And because the pudding was in a round cup, friction force caused it to start rolling. And that is how your pudding came to roll right across the floor, drop over the landing and keep rolling until it reached the centre of the common room. And every morning before everyone gets up, that floor is hosed down, which would have swept the pudding down the room and into the drain. Mystery solved. Ah, thanks, said Kylie. Now aren't you going to apologise to Brianna for wrongly accusing her? Asked Friday. Kylie looked confused. No, I'm going to eat my pudding. Kylie got down on the floor and climbed into the drain to grab her pudding. When suddenly, a siren went off. All the automatic doors in the centre started slamming shut, and guards were yelling, Escape attempt! Prisoner escaping! Friday looked around to see who was escaping. Then she realised the guards were converging on Kylie. Friday took a step backwards and melted into the crowd, returning to their own cells. Thanks, Brianna whispered to her. Friday smiled. Brianna wasn't exactly a friend, but she had forgotten how good it felt to help someone. I owe you one, said Brianna. One what? asked Friday. A motorbike, said Brianna. Let me know what you want. My uncle will steal one for you. Oh, it's okay. I'm all good, said Friday. But thanks for the thought. And so the case was solved. And that is the end of the story. So we'll leave it there. All right. Well, we've still got a bit of time left in the episode. Not really enough time for me to tell you another story. So I was thinking I might read you a recipe instead. Now, it just so happens that all the way back in my third book, Nanny Piggins and the Runaway Lion, there was a recipe at the back of the book. Now, the reason there was a recipe, because obviously I'm not a cookbook writer, I don't really know much about cooking. Well, I do, but only on an amateur level. The reason is, I find this interesting. It's a piece of trivia for you. If you've ever read a book and you get to the back of the book and you find there's some blank pages, have you ever wondered why they're there? Well, that's because books are always printed um, in multiples of 16. It's got to do with the way the books are bound and the pages are folded. Uh, They're basically um, glued together in clumps of 16 pages. So if you write a book that is 161 pages, that'll be 10 clumps of 16 plus one extra, which means you'll have 15 blank pages. Now, when you do that, like the publishers don't want to have a book with 15 blank pages, so they'll put in extra things and you probably would have seen these things and not realised why they were there. So there'll be like a little biography of the author, or perhaps there'll be pictures of the author's previous books, or maybe there'll be like a, a glossary of terms or a map or something. Well, in my book, I can't remember how many blank pages there were, but at the end of my third book, Nanny Pickens and the Runaway Lion, the publishers said to me, oh, there's going to be a lot of blank pages at the back because of the way the, the page numbering worked out. And I, and they said, oh, well, we'll put in a bio. Have you got any other suggestions for things we could put in the back? And I thought, well, because Nanny Piggins is always talking about cakes and baking cakes. I said, well, do you want me to write up a recipe for you? 
And they're like, yeah, okay. And it just so happened that Nanny Piggins and the children, the characters in this book, had been talking about a dish they'd made. So I thought I would come up with the recipe for this dish. So uh, that's what I'm going to read to you now. It's the recipe from this book, and it's called The Boris. Obviously, it's named after Nanny Piggins' brother, Boris, the ballet dancing bear, which is actually another piece of trivia. Ballet dancers and opera stars often do get desserts named after them. The Pavlova was named after Pavlova, the ballet dancer. And uh, Peach Melba is named after um, Dame Nellie Melba, who's an Australian opera singer. So um, the idea of Boris as a ballet dancer having a dessert named after him appealed to me. So this is the recipe for the Boris. The Boris. Chocolate souffle with a piece of honeycomb stabbed in the centre. This is the dessert Nanny Piggins and Michael invent in Chapter 8 of Nanny Piggins and the Runaway Lion. Souffle has a reputation for being very difficult and tricky to cook. This is not at all true. Souffle is only difficult if you cook it for a dinner party and the guests ruin your preparations by ringing the doorbell or trying to talk to you or get you to make eye contact with them. If you do what Nanny Piggins does and cook souffle as an afternoon snack when there are no distracting guests to bother you or pesky vegetables or soup courses to cook at the same time, then you won't have any difficulties. If you do have a social disposition and insist on friends coming over to visit, then Nanny Piggins recommends not inviting them to dinner. Instead, invite them to watch you cook and eat a souffle. The result will be much more educational for them and satisfying for you. If your guests complain of hunger, you can order a pizza for them, but only after the souffle has been given the proper respect and attention it deserves. So here is the recipe. The ingredients you will need are six eggs, 400 grams of dark chocolate, three tablespoons of caster sugar, one piece of honeycomb, or even better, chocolate-covered honeycomb, and one very large box of assorted chocolates. Okay, here's the method for cooking it. Step one, butter an appropriate-sized oven dish, about 15 centimetres in diameter, and place it on a metal baking tray. Step two, preheat the oven to 200 degrees Celsius. Step three, Separate the eggs so that you have six egg whites in one bowl and four egg yolks in another bowl. You'll notice you have two egg yolks left over. You can give these to someone making an egg white omelette to make it taste better. Step four. Break up the dark chocolate into a bowl, then soften it in the microwave. How long this will take will depend on your microwave, so do it cautiously the first time, in 40-second blasts on a medium setting. Step 5. The assorted chocolates are essential at this stage. Open the box and start eating them liberally to prevent yourself from eating the souffle ingredients. Step 6. Whisk the egg yolks. Step 7. Mix the melted chocolate with a wooden spoon until smooth. Step 8. Combine the chocolate with the egg yolks. Step 9. Whisk the egg whites until they reach soft peaks. Add the sugar, then keep whisking until they reach stiff peaks. Once they reach stiff peaks, then stop. Don't overwhisk them. If you accidentally overwhisk them, don't panic. Just add another egg white 
and then carefully whisk that in. Step 10. Pour the chocolate and yolk mixture into the egg whites and fold it in carefully with a wooden spoon. You want to retain as many air bubbles as possible, so don't worry if there are a couple of unmixed patches. Step 11. Pour into the buttered oven dish. Step 12. Pick up the tray with the dish and put it in the oven. Step 13. Bake for 25 minutes. Step 14. As soon as it comes out of the oven, stab a piece of honeycomb into the centre, preferably chocolate-covered honeycomb, then serve, or eat it all yourself. So there you go. That's the recipe for the Boris. And if you want to see that written down, you can buy a copy of Nanny Piggins and the Runaway Lion. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That is now the end of the episode. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>